one shot at a time. Welcome back to the Enjoy the Walk podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We've got uh, one of the oldest winners on tour now, Stuart Sink, taking home what most people call the, I guess, the hangover after the week <laughs> that we had at the Masters. Every year we have it in the Masters. Uh, but the RBC Heritage, I, I can't wait to dive into because this always produces a really unique winner just because of the course style. Uh, it's not a bomber's course. It's a very shot-selective course. you got to move your ball around that place. Um, Always, I actually always enjoy uh, watch, sitting down and watching this golf tournament because of where it's at, because of who usually finds their way up at the top. It's not your bomber-style course. We always see a unique winner there. We saw C.T. Pan take it home, short hitter there as well, only a few years ago. So excited to dive into that, Dante. We've got more to dive in with the PGA Tour as well. Um, they're rolling out this I guess you could call it incentive-based bonuses, uh, which we'll get into here for, I, you could call it, I guess, the, the heavy hitters on tour, your, your most popular, I guess you could say. Factoring in a little bit of FedEx points, but way more than just that into some season-ending bonuses, totaling a $40 million pool. Uh, we'll get into that and talking about where we think that money should be put instead of where it's being put. Um, and why maybe it's being put in the certain areas to fend off some other world conglomerates. We'll get into that. Dante, we'll get into your experience over the weekend with the gap matches out in your New Jersey area. We'll also get into some Maryland State Golf Association stuff, guys. So excited to get into this podcast. Before I get into that as well, I want to get into uh, a brand that's pretty near and dear to us. Dante, I know you're still waiting on this little package, but I want to talk about Squares Golf. Um, and how awesome Squares Golf has been to us as a podcast, not only reaching out to us and being on the show a couple times, uh, but also, you know, in, in the way of, of really letting us test their shoes and, and get their shoes on our feet. Um, go check out Squares Golf, guys. Go check out their shoes. They truly do work, and I'm not just saying this because we're not being paid for it. Uh, there's no gimmick in them adding yards to your game so go check that out guys go check out squares golf shoes uh some pretty awesome new styles from them some some designs that are in more dante's realm i know you like a more classic fit they've got some nice classic fits going on as well so guys let's dive in let's have a podcast man uh dante where where do we want to start man i know we just rattled off a bunch of stuff here just, there's a lot to talk about um I guess like you said, we can just kind of just go down the line here. We can go PGA Tour. Yeah. Let's start with this uh, metric for which the PGA Tour is going to utilize the algorithm, they call it. Um, the PGA Tour scares me shitless when they start talking about uh, integrating algorithms and, and indexes and it, ratings in which they're going to give seasoning ending bonuses. Um a $40 million pot for these guys. I know if you look at the take home money for, for, you know, your top 10, your top 20, your top 30, that really doesn't seem like a lot if you're spreading it out, but $40 million, just, it seems like out of thin air that the PGA tour is pulling together to give these guys just bonuses when they're already playing for a $10 million FedEx cup pot. seems a little absurd to me. Yeah. Um, they can, they can definitely utilize that money better towards other things. It it doesn't really make sense. I mean, if you if think about it, right? If you're gonna spread out forty million dollars to 
you know, those pros that are, have their branding, their name, quote unquote, the best, you know, it's probably going to be like the top 20 guys, including like the FedEx points. And here and there, it's probably going to be something kind of like you're going to see a Will Zalatoris aspect of it. I mean, he was contending in the Masters. He was all, also contending again at the RBC Heritage. Um, so you're looking at that. So like you're going to, I mean, everybody's kind of, you know, busting his stones that he was looking like the the first caddy from Happy Gilmore, right? Uh, the guy like, where were you on that one, dipshit caddy right there? Hey, Mr. Gilmore, I'm your caddy, sir. You know, those, those famous lines, right? So like that, if you're looking off of like Google searches, like you were, we were talking about before on how they're going to kind of pay them on incentives, stuff like that. I just don't think that it, it, it's really worth the money because most of these guys are the top 20, top 30 guys anyway, and they're already high on the money list. So all that's going to do is just pad their bank accounts. What's wild to me is it's April. It's almost May. And we're just finding out about this. Uh, the PGA tour confirmed to golf week last week that this started in january this started january 1 2021 so these metrics were in place and, and let's go down through here because you mentioned the google search and whatnot what exactly the pga tour is is kind of judging or, or rating these players on obviously fedex cup points is number one popularity in google search number two and then we talked about this before the podcast started the nielsen brand exposure ratings as if you couldn't put another you know branding portion into the pga tour the pga tour seems to without failure if a branding opportunity presents itself slap a logo slap a name on it and and just draw more money into these these ratings or to the to another aspect of the pga tour you know we had the the konica minolta biz hub back in the day where you could watch slow-mo cameras now it's everything by track man and whatnot they 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 never miss an opportunity to to brand another you know, sub brand of the PGA tour. And, and to the point where it's almost frustrating, um, this, this Nielsen brand exposure, basically uh, how often are these guys on TV during tournaments and being seen during TV, uh, you know, exposure on tournaments, Q ratings. Now this is one you and I both laughed at because we had no clue what a Q rating was. I mean, it, when have you heard in the past to date on 420 2021 a q rating being mentioned in the talking schedule of the pj tour zero negative zero it's wild to me we haven't heard anything about this and all of a sudden this is the metrics in which 40 million dollars are in place but a q rating but go back to the how well the guys are known to the general public so how do you how do you rate this how do you get a q rating it doesn't make sense to me yeah, here's but here's my other question too. Kind of go back to the uh, to the PGA Tour and talking about how well they're seen on TV, or is the PGA? I mean, we we talk about this all the time, right? We we get frustrated with all the time about the coverage that the PGA Tour does on TV. Absolutely sucks. So is that your incentive to say, hey, we're going to provide better uh, exposure and um, you know coverage for these PGA Tour events so these guys can have the opportunity to get their ratings up, you know? Is it kind of going to be like, you know, we're both helping each other out. You scratch your back. I scratch my back, you know, like that kind of, kind of thing there. Uh, and then you get the, I don't get it. it. It just seems like they, the PGA tour tries to keep up with the times, but they're not. Well, and, I, and I'll kind of 
go off of that, right? Keeping up with the times there, there, it seems like we saw just today as well, as we're recording here on, on Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday evening, the, the soccer world is kind of seeing the same kind of competition come to light. Several top European soccer clubs are choosing to form a super league um, at just as information was leaked about the PGA tour here as well. And it seems like this quote unquote super league, which is bringing your, your arsenals and your Barcelona's and your Real Madrid's basically their sub leagues or there's not going to play La Liga, whatever um, my, my, my European soccer knowledge is, is slim to none. So forgive me for getting some of these names wrong or not even mentioning some names. Don't attack us for a golf podcast. Um, but rumored in the beginning of 2021, if, if everyone remembers, we've had a, we've had a wild 2020. So if everyone remembers the premier golf league was mentioned, quote unquote, the super league of the PGA tour, European tour, basically a world golf league that would bring your top 50 to a city near you basically across the world every week was was rumored to being formed and still I think has a little bit more gas in the tank than what a lot of people are leading on because it seems like this little 40 million dollar incentive is kind of being fueled behind the scenes by talks of this premier golf league still being in the works and offering these guys 10 million dollar show up bonuses yeah and after you're saying that too it kind of if you think about it, when the premier golf league was kind of coming about and then promoting, like this is going to be the incentive was to have incentives for certain players based on if they show up or not, not even to the pot. We're just going to pay you to show up and play. And one of the, you know, top guys that has a pretty good brand around his name, Phil Mickelson said, I'm going to go and play where the money's at. Uh, he flat out said he's in it for the money. These guys are all out for the money. They're out for these big, massive paychecks. And he said, listen, if the price is right, I'm going to go. I really don't care where it's at. I'm going to go. You not right. So these guys are playing a game that is fickle, right? We, we saw Stuart sink win at age 47 this week, but in the same vein, you watch guys like David Duvall, who's around the same age, lose the game, lose the touch, lose the ability. He was number one in the world. And now he sits behind a desk for CBS and golf channel. It's, it's a game where you could lose it at any moment, lose your feel, lose your touch and not be world-class. If, if you're trying to make generational money, of course you're going to go where the money's at. So you can't fault these guys for saying, hey, that, that check over there, that's a lot bigger than what you're offering right in front of me. I'm, I might go swing the sticks across the pond. Right? I mean, shoot, why not? It's like you were saying, I mean, golf is a huge roller coaster game. One day you have it, one day you don't. And then, like you said, there's some days where it's just gone. You never know that where that's going to be. But like the great thing about golf is you can play the longevity of the sport. As long as you are in pretty decent shape and, you know, stay active and, you know, keep up with everything, you can play this game forever mm -hmm. um, until your last breath. Right. So why not kind of set yourself up for the future and set yourself up for your family in case that, you know, that round comes about and, you know, you just, you just can't do it anymore. Well, I and, just... and another little aspect here, which is kind of stuffed into the fine print of all of this, this $40 million bonus is only going out to the top 10 individuals that fit the bill for this quote unquote rating system, you know, everything that's being involved in it. A big one being Google ratings, obviously they're making a huge aspect on that. 
golf.com made a really good point here, which I want to bring to light. It's basically saying, does Tiger Woods still have an opportunity to get paid because he could be the number one most Googled name in, in golf, even if he sits on the sidelines for the next year because of Tiger Woods accident, because of Tiger Woods masters win because of Tiger Woods, whatever. Uh, And, and rightfully so, does he have a right to get paid? You know, if he never steps on a golf course and I think he might be this kind of anomaly because he is, the stature in which he is no one else is really going to fall into that case. I don't think, but does he have a right to get paid if he still tops the list at number one, number two, number three of most Googled of all time in 2021? Yeah. Like how are they going to figure out who's in the pool and what the algorithm is going to be like? Cause you're right. I mean, there's people every day that Google Tiger Woods and they go back to Googling his, his like, early 2000s wins like his dominant wins and his masters wins and all his other major i mean there's stuff on youtube where you can go literally watch the entire final round of his like late early late 90s his mid 2000s all his rounds you can watch the final rounds of these majors like i mean google doesn't google own youtube yeah. So absolutely. is that so there's YouTube so speaking of that as well. There so is YouTube so is YouTube factor into it? So do these YouTube, you know, influence come into play? How's that gonna work? And and here's a slippery slope too, right? There's so much to question here. And I, I just it seems like a quick kind of unthought about stab at creating extra money in the pockets of the top ten in the world top 20 in the world that have an opportunity at this because let's be honest if you're not top 50 in the world you you have no shot in hell at at this at this bonus because of the the metrics that are all in play tv time being specific to it as well basically but i mean how much is gonna even called it a 40 million dollar gamble right like it's not a sure it's not gonna work for sure will we only see it in 2021 will it continue on for years there's so many unknowns it blows my mind that and another question I have, like you said, like Google, like how much, how much of a factor does the Google searches come into play on a week to week basis? Like, how's that going to account for like the overall aspect? Like, I mean, you can get blown up on a Google search. What if that one week, right? Say you're like below top 50 and whatnot. And that one week you just have, you have it, or you just make this like, I don't know, you do something crazy to where now everybody's Googling it. Right. I mean, Google searches or the numbers are unreal. So what if that one week is, you know, beats the rest out throughout like the season, you know what I mean? Like that can, how's that going to factor? Into yeah. And I mean, what if you, what if you're like uh, a guy like Max Homa, who's extremely active on Twitter and has some tweets that go viral, that's playing towards the game too, right? Like our Twitter, Facebook accounts being involved in this too. Like where do you, where do you stop the trickle down of social media is being involved in how relevant these players are. And I think it just, it, it becomes a question of, you know, where do you cut it? Obviously, right? Like where's the cutoff point of what is impacting this or where do you not cut it? If it just talks about, you know, they're talking about the most relevant golfer on social media engagement, then that that's another index that you gotta, you gotta count in this. And it just, it goes, it goes to this point, right? The PGA Tour knows they're going to spend $40 million. Why spend it here? 
you continue to talk about grow the game infrastructure on the local and community level still struggling in a lot of lesser known lesser wealthy areas in the country why spend 40 million dollars for guys who are already making well over 10 to 15 million per year on endorsements pga tour winnings and whatnot why spend the money on the top one percent when you can feed in to the greater game on a global scale especially for them saying it's a 40 million dollar gamble like when you go to gamble, right, you put up X amount of dollars more than knowingly that you're going to lose that amount of money because think of it going to the casino, right? You go for the entertainment, you go for the blackjack table, you go for the roulette table, you bring like, I don't know, say like a couple hundred dollars. You know that you have that money in your hand knowing, I mean, you lose majority of the time that you're there. Very few where you walk out with like big bills, right? Mm-hmm. You, you have a great return on investment it's a gamble, right? So you're throwing down, you're throwing down this amount of money expecting to lose it. So if you're saying right in the headlines, like, as you're saying this to, for the PGA tour that, Oh, this is a $40 million gamble. You're saying that $40 million is just chump money for you. Mm -hmm. Like you can invest that in better ways and for better opportunities. Like you're saying to grow the game or to put it towards anything that can benefit you know, the, the, the lower end of golf to get them either in the golf or better, maybe better like the courses they play on like corn Ferry tour or, or the mini tours or find a better way to have a better, I guess you can say progression for these trying to, these guys, these coming up on tour, you know what I mean? Or, the or the, the female, there, right? you hit the nail on the head there, right? You talk about, and, and I'm just going to use the NFL as a prime example, because if you look at, the way they have a quote-unquote feeder system into the nfl it starts with peewee football right there's nfl branded flag football now for these kids they're creating an interest at such a young age for kids to go play football in a time where everyone's questioning why go play football because of head risks because of concussions we're seeing these massive you know documentaries on the impacts of concussions and players brains and early deaths yet kids are still picking up a football because the NFL is so well integrated with these flag football programs, with peewee football, with you know midget football, high school football, whatever. There's such an allure because the NFL is so invested in that quote-unquote feeder system. $40 million can go a hell of a lot of ways for a golf quote-unquote feeder system, yet the PGA Tour consistently time and time again, I, I don't even think at this point it's missing the boat. Because I think they've had to have had this come across their table at some point. I think at this point, it's choosing to completely neglect and not want a feeder system in place for the PGA Tour. Yeah, I mean, think about how many, I guess you could say, Tiger Woods potential kids out there that just don't get a golf club in their hand mm-hmm. because they just don't have the access or they just, they're just in an area or whatnot. Or, and it's just like, it, it's not the thing you know, like you say, and these feeder systems, like I want to go play football. Like you don't really see many kids say, you know, I want to go play golf. Well, that's a branding issue too, right? If you look at the PGA tour versus an NFL or versus an NBA, right? Like the NBA immediately, when these kids are, are growing up, they have the LeBron Jameses, they have 
the the you know the Steph Curry's and whatnot, and all these all these kids they want to go out and just shoot threes like Steph Curry, or they want to you know be a beast mode like LeBron James. Like they have the the PGA Tour has a branding issue too, which is a, a whole nother discussion for a whole nother day, I think. Um, but it, they've got a branding issue in reaching that youth and reaching the the kids that say, hey. I, I look like him. I want to be like him. Let me pick up a golf club. But again, I, I just think when you look at the, the $40 million price tag and you look at how it could have been spent and you look at how kind or of the, aimless $40 million gamble. Yeah. It's just an aimless spending. It, there's no, I mean, you look at these quote unquote metrics, there's no end goal. There's no saying, well, we want to boost the metrics of the PGA tour it's all individual based. There's no greater goal here. I don't think. And that's what I'm missing too. I, I'm missing a greater goal out of this $40 million other than competing, com- competing with the premier golf league, which isn't even a thing yet. Yeah. I don't get the greater goal. Talk. I don't get the greater goal of spending $40 million for 10 people. I don't. It's like they're, they're being more reactive than proactive within their own brand. It's like, how, how can we, better ourselves like okay yeah we have this potential competitor but we're reacting to something that's not even there no i I, you're spot on um you know it's just it's wild to me that a price tag can go so little so so in in a game where we're talking about the pga tour the pga latin america tour we just had a japanese winner of the masters so you know hey what a perfect opportunity to go spend Five million, ten million, twenty million in in Japan, and and, and build up a, a, a greater awareness for Japan golf, right? And and the the mini tours that are over in Japan and China. Nope, we spend it on ten guys on the PGA Tour already making ten plus million a year. Yeah, I mean, even look at all like those uh, mini tours, like you were saying, like you got you got the tours in Canada, you got the Latin tours, you got you got these guys traveling all over the place, trying to grind their ways to find themselves a tour to help them get points and status to push along their career so they can get to the end end game is to make it onto the PGA tour. It was like, it's kind of like the NBA D leagues. Like (laughs) look at all like the NBA D leagues out. And like when they go over to Europe to kind of, you know, these guys have the skills, but you know, we need to develop them a little bit better in order before we bring them up to you know the nba for sure you know look at all like these mini look at the like minor league baseball look at all these look at minor league hockey like why don't we like throw the funds into bettering the minor leagues of golf for sure and and i think it's just it's a completely uh it's a completely missing aspect of of the pga tour that that's holding it back i mean we talk about golf being in a phenomenal state and at a recreational level it is but there's there's such a gap between the growth of the game at a recreational level and actually the the transition for guys who want to try and make it to to actually find the avenue avenues to do it and it's a shame when you see this kind of price tag being thrown around that the the path really comes from privatized you know, endeavors. It comes from the all pro tours. It comes from the G tours out in Arizona comes from like the outlaw tour where it's just a bunch of really damn good scratch golfers and, and, you know, plus handicaps that want to get together and compete. It's a shame that that's the, that's the, the path guys have to take to get good enough to go play on the PGA tour. There's not this greater 
feeder system. And, and I here, think it just here, misses the boat. Here's one thing, right, that, that just kind of like sparked my, you know, mm-hmm. interest and kind of think of, think of this, right? So golf is a like a longevity sport. You can play that for ever. Like I've said this before, you can play this to your last breath, right? You know, you and I growing up and kids all over the place, they constantly play sports, multiple sports, whatever sport they want to do. They, they only play it up to a certain level, mm-hmm. maybe right before high school, a little after middle school, play in high school. If they decide to go to college and play in college, they play in college. After that, you either are good enough to go professional or you basically you hang up the cleats or the gloves and there's really not much or and then you end up getting like a nine to five job. You go down that route and then there's maybe a couple beer leagues or men's leagues or or women's leagues afterward, like after work that you go and play. Right. Yep. But like 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 for me, like lacrosse, right They're They're really unless I was going pro which I wasn't, there really wasn't much afterwards. Plus it's a little bit harder on, you know, harder on the body um, with, you know, the hitting and all that and the running that, you know, you get to a certain point where you just, you just can't physically play it anymore, Mm -hmm. but golf's not that golf. You can constantly compete. I mean, I'm competing against guys that are, you know, in their sixties and seventies and we're, we're grinding it out trying to beat. And these guys are like plus handicap players, you know, scratch golfers and whatnot. So why not develop like, you know, it, it's like you compare. It's like once you pass college, like if you're not going pro, you're not going pro. Like, why don't you put the money in to make these type of things for people to compete or help people better? I mean, there's so many, you know, of, of my friends that come out of college, come out and, you know, they make they find golf later in life. Yeah. And they're like, damn, like, why wasn't I aware of this before? But or how can I continue to get better? Oh, for sure. And, and it's just, it's so crazy to me, man. You look at guys and, and this is like a perfect example of what you were just saying, the, the depth or the range at which you can get good and be good and stay good. We just saw Stuart sink went out at RBC, his third win out there, 47 years old. This guy has a great chance to win into his fifties on the PGA tour. Like, and you know, and I know we've got guys at our home clubs that contend every year in the club championship at, you know, 50 45 50 plus hell we got a guy at glenn riddle that competes and he's almost 70 dude's a scratch at 70 i mean it's just it's the it's the longevity of the game but there's more and more people especially as we see college you know sports and college athletics on the d3 level d2 level even a d1 level you got guys making the transition that were ex-baseball players that lost the dream at like age 28 29 uh, X, whatever players that, you know, they, they transition from sport a to sport B later in life and find success at the mid am level, find success at the, you know, even the amateur level. Uh, one that comes to mind for me is a, is a barstool employee. That's actually a hockey guy, Paul. I think it's Paul Bizanet or something like that. Biz nasty. They call him. He he's a, he's a great golfer. And even Ryan Whitney, they're great golfers and they play in us mid am shit. And, and that's the only Avenue. We have to play even after that. So even with the golf, it's limited unless you want to play, like you said, local kind of get together. So I don't know, just to wrap it up, man, it just seems like $40 million could have been spent in a hell of a lot better places by the PGA tour rather than their top 10 money earners. Agreed. I, I mean, 
we don't have to go down that rabbit hole anymore. We already we already know our thoughts, but nah, man. But uh, just like, touching on Stuart wasted Sink, money. Let's, let's move on to Stuart Sink and Harbor Town because I want to really dive into how how cool this win was for Stuart Sink and and not only himself but there was some family affair in the win as well he had his son reagan on the bag um just an absolute i mean awesome story you talk about uh the longevity stewart sinks had on tour um being 47 years old beating out young guns i guess you could call him emiliano grio harold varner colin morikawa was right there beating out young guns like that and, and getting another win on tour by four strokes at 19 under blows my mind. It blows my mind that a guy like Stuart sink can continue to find the winner circle with all of this. Uh, I guess you could call it firepower behind him. It's just, it's really, really cool to see. Um, and at a course where, like we mentioned, as we opened up the podcast, it, a shot makers course. Yeah. I mean, plus going back to back 63s, it's insane. I mean, that's a, just a phenomenal score. That's but like you ball. say, yeah. Um, what's crazy though, is like you said, it's, it, it's a shot maker's course. It's, we constantly see, and, and we go back to this all the time, you know, PGA tour is a revenue based, you know, tour now mm-hmm. it's, it, they don't really focus on the skill level of the guys. It's like, where, what course can we put them on that just pack the most fans in? you know, pre COVID, right. Like take COVID out of this. Let's just pack fans in, get revenue. Right. And just, you know, have just a bomb and gouge course. It just, it just seems like they're not very diverse with the course setups. And it's cool to see when they put themselves on a, on a course where you, you have to play shots, you have to strategically shape shots into certain spots. So you have the best angles in the green in order to score. Well, you, they need to incorporate that more often, but for some reason they don't. And the reason is, is probably because these courses don't allow the number amount of fans that they would rather have yeah, on that I mean, property. It, it was cool to, I'll just put this for ticket sales. Uh, you're out there in Georgia. They allowed fans on the property. Um, some of these Southern swing States are allowing, you know, Texas, of course, as well, early in the year, allowing fans. It's phenomenal to see fans back and just to hear the claps and a little bit of roars. The roars I, know it's limited. The... I know it's limited, but even at Augusta to hear roars coming down the stretch, how, how just rejuvenating was that to know that these guys were getting roars as they were pouring in putts to go win. I mean, it's momentum changers for some of these guys. Yeah. You got guys coming, you know, walking down the stretch that are kind of looking back and watching out for the guys coming up, you know, making a push either makes them nervous or it puts them in the focus. And then you get these guys who are like, I'm going to completely change this, the way this tournament's going and then go out and do like birdie, birdie, birdie. And now you're up in the lead. Fans play a huge part when it comes to golf tournaments. And oh, there's no it's really showed after, I mean, yeah, like we've talked about it, how cool it was for them just to go out and it's like completely empty because then you can hear the conversations and, with them with the caddies and you can kind of see that aspect of it, the more intimate side of it and the more focus, but you know, it's a complete game changer when the fans are back. For sure. No, man. And and we talked about it being a shot makers course at the RBC heritage. I want to talk about some of the past winners because I think it exemplifies that quote unquote shot making personality. 
I don't think any of these guys we're going to mention are necessarily bombers. Uh, maybe the reinvented Webb Simpson, because I, before 2020, I don't think he was really a long ball hitter. He has added some yardage, but obviously Stuart Sink winning this year. Webb Simpson took it home last year in 2020. And then we had CT Pan, who's 5'5", mind you, win in 2019. Uh, Wesley Bryan back in 2017, also not a big bomber of the ball. Uh, Bryan Brothers Golf is where him and his brother do some funny trick shots. So uh, that's where that's where you can recognize the Wesley Bryan name from. And then Jim Furyk and Matt Kuchar, 2015-2014, also not long bombers of the ball. Um, just really, this, uh, we said this before, you know as we first started too. This event is so refreshing. A lot of people consider it a Masters hangover, so a lot of people don't watch it. But it's refreshing, man. You see, you see fun names pop up at the top of the leaderboard every year. Names you don't think you'd see up there regularly. Names you might have forgotten about. Um, so it's always fun to see who kind of rises to the top at this event. Harold Varner hasn't had an incredibly great week, or I mean year, up until this event either. So it was kind of cool to see his name pop up there and finish T2. Uh, Maverick McNeely. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick was up there or Matt Fitzpatrick. I'm sorry, not your Dolphins quarterback, but the, uh, the actual <laughs> English golfer, um, Matthew Fitzpatrick was up there. Colin Morikawa, Shane Lowry, you know, Webb Simpson and shout out to Denny MacArthur, uh, Maryland hometown guy. Uh, he carded an ace to get him inside the top, uh, top 20 this, this week out at the RBC. So it's always fun to see him finish up there as well. But for Stuart sink to take home this, this week's, you know, title, there was a really stacked field as well. Like people forget how many top world-class players go and play the RBC. Um, it's just a world-class win for him. And I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in the winner's circle again at some point this year. Yeah, it seems like he's been, he's always up in the mix every like other tournament. So, I mean, he's got the famous ha- uh, head tan line. <laughs> you got which the Rodrigo headline. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's exciting to see. I mean, congrats to him. Great win. Um, played outstanding. I mean, when, when you go out and put four round, great rounds together, you're going to walk out with a W. So I think, you know, don't, don't put him in the back, in the back of the closet and, you know, he's going to like, he's going to be out there again, contending. So don't be surprised. For sure. No, I love it, man. I love it. Uh, you know, speaking of contending, we uh we we both got into some some rounds of golf over the weekend. You were contending for a, a gap match um, out at a I would say pretty uh, pretty ritzy little club out in the New Jersey area, uh, which I want to get into here a little bit. Uh, you guys out at Running Deer uh, took on the Laurel Creek Country Club out in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, for your first round of gap matches. Um, how did it go? How fun was it? Was it good weather? Uh, and how'd you guys fare on your, your first round of gap matches this past week? Uh, weather was nice, but it was actually kind of weird because it was pretty brisk in the morning with like a slight breeze, mm-hmm. but it was that it's that time of the year where it's when you wake up in the morning, you said, Ooh, maybe I need like a fleece sweater. And then, but you know, a, a light pullover just doesn't do the trick. So as the day goes on, now you're, you know, you're wearing a, you know, thicker upper layer, outer layer, and then you're sweating and then it's, you're putting it back on and then you get cold again. And then you're put, you're, t- you're taking it off and putting it back on. It's just like one of those type of rounds. And it, it was just weird. But I mean, other than that, the course was, it was 
you know, I know a lot of people hate it or they just say it was pure from T to green. It was just remarkable. I, I, you know, we, you and I have played Glamour. We know how special that is up, up in Scranton. We know how gorgeous it is um, with the views and whatnot. And just like the conditions from T to green private country club, just like Laurel Creek. I consider it the South Jersey version of Glenmar. Just kind of like the way, like the course played itself too. Um, now, Glenmar is a different different course as well. I mean, that's kind of snuck in on Montage Mountain. But this course plays as a Lynx style. Well, it's a Lynx course, but it there the hole by hole is Lynxy, but you know it's fairway, and then it, it's wide fairways, wide greens. Uh, wind does whip in here and there. Um, before it was like true links because there was no houses on the property. There are homes surrounding surrounding the golf course. Um, Marlton, New Jersey, is is pretty heavily populated and very, you know, condensed and whatnot. So um, you had that. I mean, the the houses were absolutely gorgeous. I mean, everybody had like this big mansions and just crazy backyards it was close my it blows my mind here too you talk about the course and and the setup of it between royal new kent last week and now laurel creek this past (laughs) week you've played some insanely tough courses the course rating from all the way back now granted you might not have played it from all the way back but the course rating from all the way back is 73.5 and it's slope rating to 133 uh you've played some extremely difficult courses here the past couple weeks too so (laughs) put the game or i imagine you've had to put the game on full display i did and one thing that i've noticed after playing royal new kent with if you look at this you know right on paper how difficult it was and it is a difficult golf course you have to hit good golf shot after good golf shot after good golf shot and if you do miss you really have to hit a pretty good recovery shot or you're you get yourself in some serious trouble. Uh, one thing that it has taught me from playing all the way back at Royal New Kent and the rating that it has is as long as you kind of stay focused and, and, and play your game, you can you can pretty much take on any course. I, I think people take the misconception of, you know, looking at those, those numbers and then they, you know, they psych themselves out. Um, I think that's one great thing I took from that trip is, not letting that get to me. It's like just going out, playing my game, and just trying fairways in middle of the fairway, middle of the green, and just trying to putt my way to par. And that's kind of kind of what I did. You know, I went out, um, just put it in the middle of the fairway, short little dog leg left, par four, kind of over the water, kind of cut the corner a little bit, but just just wanted to get it out there and had a nice little like wedge into the green, um, middle of the green, had probably about like a 20-footer, straight slightly uphill putt um i was like all right let's just get there to putt you know get my par and move on well it, it snuck it in the side door and made birdie beat my guy on the first hole i said oh this is gonna be a great day and i'll tell you what man it was a battle it was a battle for him and i like my partner or, or well, not my partner my opponent um you do play an individual match and you also play a better ball team match so you have to worry about that too um, and of course, my partner, it was his first year playing the gap matches. So I was coaching him along the way and he, he picked up pretty quick. But, you know, I, I, we're neck and neck with this guy. Like I won a hole. He won a hole. Then we just kept pushing it. And I was probably about plus one going into the eighth hole. 
and we get to the eighth hole and it was just like this short par four, you know, pulled high road, got it to the middle of the fairway, just had a wedge into the green, just wanted to hit like a little flip wedge. Well, guess what happens when I say you got to make sure you play it. When you play these tough courses, you got to hit the right shot. Well, I hit it long into the bunker. And one thing that I very, I struggled on was getting onto the green. You know, I hit this bunker shot, kind of like hit it, not the best, and it popped up on the green. And the greens were so fast that the green, the ball rolled from the pin all the way down almost into the water. And it kind of was just like downhill from there. And I was just trying to climb myself out of a hole. Something that amazes me, right, when I go play new courses too, is the – I don't want to call it like the impossibility because it's obviously not impossible. But when I'm seeing a course for a first time and I start a downhill side like that, it's incredibly difficult to get back on track because you're not comfortable, A. B, you're at a course where you really don't know 100% of what's around the corner. So you're not comfortable hitting approach shots. You're not comfortable hitting, you know, drives. You're not comfortable missing a shot. So immediately when you put yourself in a hole at a quote unquote away match, you're, you're really struggling because, and I struggled with this at our state team match up at Talbot country club. We, we had a great front nine. We, we were three up, I think through the front. And then all of a sudden we found ourselves, even we lost the three up league on the overall match and we're three down on the lat on the back nine. All of a sudden you're, you're pressing so hard because you know you got to get back, but you don't know where to press at because you don't know where you can really make up some ground and miss the shots at a course that's really unfamiliar to you. Yeah, and then that too is like, luckily we live in a time where we have the apps of like 18 birdies and, and the Grint and you know Google Maps where you can kind of like, if you know what hole is which, you can kind of go on these applications and basically kind of get a feel for like, all right, well, where do I want to hit the ball? Um, how long is it to like off the tee to this certain spot and then into the green. And you can kind of get a general idea of what club selection you want to hit and have a strategy going into the green, going into the course and then going into that round, but you're not going to know kind of the elevation of the course. Is it uphill? Is it downhill? Does the wind whip through uh, what, you know, what kind of terrain is it? Are there blind shots? Uh, what's the green complexes like? Are they, are they big mobiles? Are they big, like big hilly, like undulating greens or are they flat and fast? And these are kind of, a, uh, they were f- flat and fast, but they were big. But then again, like I was having blind shots in the green and that's where I struggled. I struggled when I got onto the green, the greens were just twice as fast as my home course. So like, how do you go like without being able to have practice rounds, especially going to courses that are private for these things. It's like kind of like you just go in blind and hope that you have a good day and hopefully your opponent does not. And it's even tougher when you're going away because that guy plays that course every single week. For sure. And I, I feel that to my core because we ended up losing our match on the last yeah. three holes uh, we squared it up, and then all of a sudden, the guy went birdie, 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 finish on us uh, without blinking an eye. And all of a sudden, you're like, "What just happened?" Like you feel yeah. like you just got a knockout punch, and you don't know where the punch came from. Um, it, it was, it's it's a struggle going away, man. And it's it's uh, anyone who can win away or the golf course, you know, on a different sport, it's a tough win to go win away. Um, so you're playing home next week. Now you did say a pretty intriguing <laughs> golf course. Uh, yes. I want to bring up as well. We played there in the Barstool Classic last year in the qualifier. Um, where, who, what team are you playing? And and you're you're at the home team this coming week at Running Deer. Yeah, we're playing Atlantic City Country Club. 
Um, good old <laughs> short course right there on the bay. Um, we played it in the Barstool Classic. I thought we hit you and I played fairly well for our games. Um, there's a couple of slip ups in some of the par fives that we don't really have to go dive. I'll just kind of, you know, a little reminder there. But <laughs> other than that, I mean, I thought I when I played that for the first time, I thought I played extremely well. Um, I was hoping since, you know, I played it last year, I would get the call to go away. But at the same time, you kind of have to be fair and strategic for the, the, the captain of the team to give them a fair shot at let any, let other people play like these other courses, because sure. that's kind of the essence of the gap team matches, right? You're out there for some competition. You have to grind, you know, it's match play. Like that's the cool part of it. But at the same time, it's a camaraderie thing, right? You're going out to see other courses. You're going out to see other, you know, meet other people. And that's kind of the general essence of it. And the big picture, um, because after the round, like each course hosts like a luncheon for both teams right um so you go out like when we got when we finished laurel creek right he goes oh we're gonna go sit out here on the patio and their patio is phenomenal and he goes oh here's like a special menu for gap players anything you want off the menu no problem any drink you any drink you want no problem it's on us like it's the hospitality aspect of it so you know you kind of you kind of want to give other people a chance but you know on a competition like i want to win I got my ass handed to me last week. I lost all three ways. Um, my partner only got half a point. We only walked out with half a point between the two of us. Um, and we're playing together again at home, which I think we feed off pretty well, kind of keep each other calm when things don't go our way, mm-hmm. laugh it off and whatnot. That's like the best way to do it. But I mean, you're, you're out there to compete. So like, I want to win at the same time. So if I have to go home, like, I don't care where I go. So, but I'm pumped for the guys who haven't played Atlantic city to go there and hopefully they can, you know, scrap out some points to get and hopefully get a W. So it's good. It's going to be exciting. I, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be good. Maybe have like a redemption round coming back and playing home. Maybe I can get the three points. I like the sounds of that. I, I like the direction your head's uh, head's going for that. So I wish you the best of luck there. Um, like I was saying, we lost our state team match. Unlike the gap matches, we are a one and done uh, NCAA style bracket down here in Maryland. So uh, we yeah. are done with state team matches. Um, so next yeah, up, get- for me, I pulled the trigger on some tournaments that yeah, uh, where are you headed? Signed up for. Um, we talked about this before I got on the podcast. I've got one in two weeks. I didn't think it was coming like- up that fast, but all of a sudden, April's almost gone, and May is right upon us. This is the biggest one too, right? It's the biggest one, May 6th out at Hillendale Country Club, the U.S. Open local qualifier. Uh, played there a couple years ago, I think two years ago now, uh, because they flip-flop venues every other year. Um, but uh, I was I was one under through seven and made the grave mistake of turning to my dad and telling him this is what dreams are made of. I proceeded <laughs> to make a triple bogey and, and go on to shoot almost 80. So uh, let's not count the chickens before they hatch this year, so- and, and maybe I'll have some more success. So someone of this, of your caliber of playing, right? You know, we were talking about it earlier, going into courses kind of almost completely blind, only knowing what you have in front of you based off of, you know, the internet. Thank, thank goodness. Right. So how do you like, now this is like you U S open qualifier, right? Your opportunity to get yourself onto the main stage. Like, how do you prepare yourself for that? Like, I know you've played the course already, but 
I'll tell you, I'll tell you this and how I prepared myself two years ago when I never had seen the course before. Um, I go and get a practice round in as close to that date as possible. Right. So I don't go like a month before because especially in the spring in Maryland, greens could be a completely different caliber in a month. Uh, when the green, you know, oh, absolutely. When the weather gets better if they punch and the greens, the holes fill and whatever. So that's my number one thing as close as they'll allow you to get a practice round in, I'll go. If they let me go play the Friday before that Monday, because typically you can't get on private clubs like Hillendale over the weekend reserved for members only, unless you know a member. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know a member up there. So I'm stuck on, you know, weekday rounds, but I'll go as close to the event venue time as possible and then get a practice round. Uh, a lot of times, especially on more public courses than Hillendale, you can actually get out there the night before, the day before they'll let you go play. Because in most public tracks, they're open until that day. You know, um, Hillendale is a little different. I'm going to try and probably get out there three or four days before. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, the number one thing for me, when I, and every player is different, right? Like every player approaches some things different, is, is lines off the tee is just knowing where to hit it off the tee and knowing where you can maybe miss one or two because you're not going to be perfect. No one's ever perfect, especially at these high intensity, high pressure. The nerves are kicking in. And- Hell yeah. Yep. You might blow one way right off the first tee and, and right could be bad. So if you want to blow one, where, where where's your worst shot possible going to end up that you can make birdie from? And that's where that's the mentality you want to have. And, you know, it's just playing the misses um, is the biggest thing for me. But then the other thing is, like, you talked about when you went to uh, – to, was it Laurel Creek? Yeah. When you went to Laurel Creek, the biggest thing is, is green speeds. And, and oh. you know, getting the understanding of, all right, am I reading these too much or am I reading these not enough? And getting that understanding before you tee it up in the competitive round, not trying to figure it out as you're going to post the loan. Oh, I, you know, on the practice green, I was like, all right, I think I got the speed right. I got the speed right. And then I heard like a little tip from one of the, you know, the staff guys. They're like, yeah, the greens are 10 times faster out on the course than this practice green right here. That was I said, be my you've got to be comment. kidding. My number one I said, <laughs> when you started that conversation was never trust the practice screen. Yeah. I said, you've got to be kidding me. And it, it, my partner and I, it took us to 17 and 18 the 18th hole to finally get a decent touch onto the onto the ball for the on the greens for the right speed and it was like damn because he went he you know he shot like a 45 on the front because he was three putting everything and then i think i think he shot one under on the back because eventually he figured it out well that's funny right like going back to experiences in competitive play uh in 29 or 2018 i had played in the uh Maryland Open out at all uh, oh, the names going to forget me. But anyway, long story short, Steve, my buddy down here at Caddy for me in three days of play. I think I went like five over five over. Um, and then I was five under through the front nine on the last round. And I finally got this effort mentality and started actually trusting the lines on the greens, like way more break than what I was initially playing the previous two days. I shot two under on the back nine of the final round because you could finally trust the putts, right? Like sometimes it takes a while to, to get the greens. And and that's one of the, um, that's one of the caveats of going to a place you really don't know too well. So that, that, especially here, here's another kind of thing I look for when I'm signing up for tournaments is I look for places I'm familiar with. 
I don't look at a course that I've never seen or heard of before and say, yeah, I'm a, I want to go play there. Yeah, because right. You know, you got to post a number and that's the toughest part. Like, you know, you got to be at least two or three under to even give yourself a chance. And typically four or five under is where you really want to be. So that that's off of the, so how's, how's it work? Correct me if I'm wrong. Like you play the local qualifier and hopes to get to the sectionals. Correct. Yeah. And then what else? So if you make it to the sectionals, right. And then you like get past that, what's the next step? U S open. Like you're in it. Are you considered the, the, the toughest day in golf. It's a 36 hole event. The sectional qualifiers are. So if you make it through locals, which are 18 hole qualifiers, if you make it through locals, the next step is sectionals. Sectionals are typically a 36 hole one day event, morning round, afternoon round, you know, straight up stroke play competitive rounds. And then if you make it through sectionals, you're in. Like you are actually in the U.S. Open. Like I'm stepping foot on Torrey Pines yeah. through the, inside the ropes and, and and guaranteed a Thursday and Friday. So time. how many usually make it in? From the local qualifiers, typically five. No, I'm just like, that. that's through everything, right? That's like through no, sectionals. No, 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 Local qualifiers take the top five typically. And then a couple alternates to sectionals. And then from yeah. sectionals, your top two make it. Top two or three make oh, it. Oh, so you're talking – so you're telling me – Creme de la creme, homie. You're talking about all the, the thousands, the hundreds and of local qualifiers out there for the U.S. Open, right? Like, I guess – is it within the – it's across the world, right? Trying to get in there. It's across. It's across the world. Absolutely, they have. Okay, China, so they have like China yeah. local and, so and you have, qualifier and whatnot. So you have hundreds of local qualifiers, thousands of golfers, right? Maybe millions. Uh huh. And they take five. Well, so that's five from every region. So, like, if I were to, if you, if anybody yeah. makes it through a local, they'll go to their quote unquote regional or sectional qualifier. So there's one in Maryland. There's one out in Ohio. There's okay. a couple in Florida. There's some in California. I think all in all sectional qualifying, they do end up having close to like 20 sectional qualifiers. And out of those sectional qualifiers, out of those 20, two from each sectional qualifier typically get through. So, so you're looking at like 40. You're looking at 40 total applicants out of the nine to 10,000 just in the United States. Mm. You're looking at about 40 that get through. That's insane. The odds aren't favorable. No. But you know what? There's 40. There's somebody, 40. Somebody's got to fill those spots. That, and if you, what is it? Like, if you don't, if you don't try, like, you're never going to know. You don't play. You're never gonna know if you're and actually. That's the fun of it, it, man. You know, um, uh, Isaiah, who has been on the podcast with us before, uh, he's gotten through local qualifying a couple times, and, and gone on and played in sectional qualifying, and through round one has actually been in the top like four or five in the leaderboard, um, and then just had some guys play absolutely stupid good rounds. He played with Billy Hurley the third, um, I think four or five years ago. Billy Hurley shot the most mindless 63 I've ever seen anyone throw up on a leaderboard. Like it was <laughs> stupid, dumb, how good it was. Um, Cause I was walking around with Isaiah that day. So it just, you know, it dude, it's, it's wild. The, what it takes to get through sectionals as well. Um, but Hey, you know, it's going to be fun and it's going to be the first thing. The local qualifier is the first thing on my list this year of, of events to go play in and uh, get some competitive juices flowing. So two weeks to prep, two weeks to prep, uh, 
We had a great prep week. I think a phenomenal prep week out at Royal New Kent. If I can play that course and strike the ball well there, uh, I, I can do some good things in the in the weeks to come. Yeah, dude, that that'll be yeah. You were striping it there. I mean, you were just it was like what what do you say? It was bad seventy eights. You were playing bad seventy eights for yeah. course like a course you didn't even like ever see. Yeah, and I mean, it was just like a couple holes here or there that just had my number every time. I felt like, uh, which yeah. is which is frustrating beyond belief. But yeah, I mean, you know, I got that qualifier coming up, and then uh, two weeks after that, I'll have the uh, the Maryland State Golf Association Am and Open uh, qualifier as well out at Prospect Bay, which is on the eastern shore here. So uh, I've only played that course once as well. So I'm going to try and get up there for a practice round. Um, and see if we can get in the Maryland State Am, the Maryland State Open. So yeah, that'd be that'd be dope. Lots of fun stuff coming our way, man. I'm excited. Uh, probably gonna try my guts out at a uh, Maryland State Mid Am and the U.S. Mid Am as well. Uh, since I'm over 25, they canceled it last year on me and my first year eligible. So uh, kind of Jones in to see what I can do amongst the Mid Am ranks as well. Yeah, man. So yeah, you're gonna have to keep me posted on that. I'm sure you will. We'll uh, we'll try and keep the followers up to date as I uh, you know do some fun things and uh, see where we can put the game on a be on nice a level here. Be nice if they have live scoring, and I'll just I'll just update update the uh, the followers as what's going we on that day. See. I know Maryland State Golf Association does. I don't know if the local qualifiers for USA yeah. will because meh, they were just like. <laughs> peons until you get to a sectional qualifying but we'll see man it's going to be a lot of fun um this competitive stuff man we had talked about this too before we got on the podcast there's very little opportunity for an amateur golfer to really get high-end level competitive golf you know your your beer leagues or your you know saturday morning rounds with the guys really just don't get the juices flowing like these do um, so no. they're, they're fun to get in and, and, you know, whether you have a lot of success or whether you, you fall short of your, your aspirations and your goals, they're still an exciting round of golf. Even, even like my, you know, my level right now, obviously, like we were talking, I'm going to go, you know, I feel like I've gotten to a point where it's like, you know, it's time to start really grooving the swing. Let's go get some professional help and let's, let's take where I'm at now and elevate it. Right. And that's like the beauty of this game, like the longevity of it, like we were saying is where I can always still get better. It, it's not like I hit like a certain age and it's just like game over. For sure. Right. It, it, it's like stuff like that. And it's, it's more of the kind of the experience. Like I've done some gap mid am stuff before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've fallen within the handicap realm of where I can actually participate and gave it a shot and i was actually fortunate enough to play in one of the qualifiers which was a course we've played multiple times up in uh scranton uh up in the scranton area elmhurst country club where you work like you know you and i know it um so i was able to play that and i, I held my own but eventually a couple holes like really kind of got got to me um but i mean it, it's just it's give it a shot even if like you know it's a good test to see where your game really the is. The number one thing I get from all these events too, and you just put it perfectly, it's it's an amazing test of where your game's at. And then from there too, right? It's not only an amazing test of where your game's at now, but down the road, right? Like if I play in this qualifier in 2021, for the rest of the year, I'm looking back at that round, whether I played phenomenal or whether I struggled. 
and learning from it and taking things away from that kind of chipping away and saying, all right, I'll take A, B, and C of what I did well there and really apply that, you know, the, the method, the, the routine or whatever, and really apply it into next tournaments. And then, Hey, you know what? I kind of struggled on A, B, and C here. Let's, let's see if we can chisel that out of the game too. You know, there's so many golf's golf's just a game of repetition and learning and you learn so much from these competitive rounds because that's really where the game is either put on display or really put your weaknesses on display too. Yeah. So it's just, it's a phenomenal opportunity, whether you're a phenomenal golfer, whether you're a mid range golfer or whatever to, to test yourself. I think that at the end of the day, right. We judge ourselves in academics on tests. You judge yourself on a lot of other things in tests. Why not judge your golf game at a really good test as well? Ah. You could have said it better. So exciting stuff, man. We've, we've got some competitive golf flowing in the, in the bones for both of us here in the next couple of weeks and uh, excited to dive into it. Uh, I'm excited too, as uh, we, we look into the summer months, we're going to have to get ourselves in some better ball events and, and see what we can see, what damage we can do. That's another thing. I mean, we can go on a tangent here, but I'll make it quick is, you know, they don't have, we talk about how it's like, it's either you like you play high school elite college elite and then it's like professionals and it's like little mini tours here and there but damn like give like these like guys like you and i who can some of us can compete and like try and reach to the highest level but those who still like to compete throw some better ball events we need to see more better ball events i do not see enough of those i've got one circled on my list and all it is is the us am better ball qualifier right? Like it's just the USGA putting on this awesome better ball event. So in which um, I think you need like, right. Don't you need a certain handicap in order to play? I think it's under seven. Oh, really? I think it's under seven. So uh, yeah, maybe we'll sneak into that one at the end of the summer. I like that. I like that vibe. I like that vibe a lot. Nice. Well guys, uh, if you want to learn more about the enjoy the walk podcast, check out our latest merchandise drops or uh, just go pick up some, uh, some, you know, more information about what we do and what we're about, you can head to www.enjoythewalkpod.com. Links to our YouTube page are there. Links to our Instagram and our Twitter are there as well, at enjoythewalkpod on both Instagram and Twitter. Um, Be on the lookout, guys. We've kind of teased the slope grade video. We've teased the Royal New Kent video. Uh, We've got some awesome stuff coming out um, in conjunction with this podcast. Um, At the end of this week, we'll have the slope grade video out on our YouTube page, the full review, how to use the product, what all the product does for you on the greens. Um, Excited to release this as it's been uh, uh, in our hands now for a couple months. We've really got to utilize the product test the product, see what is phenomenal about it and see how Jeff Mosini and the guys at Slopegrade are really building a great green reading software. Um, so be on the lookout for that. Like we said, we've got feature holes uh, coming out from Royal New Kent, as well as a full front nine course vlog hitting the airwaves, most likely beginning of May. So be on the lookout for that, guys. Go check out our YouTube page, Enjoy the Walk Off podcast out there. Links are on our website, www.enjoythewalkpod.com. Till next week, guys. Get out there, carry your clubs, tag us, tag us where you're walking. We'll uh, we'll put you on the page, feature you guys in some posts as we uh, see where you, all you followers, new and old, are getting out there and enjoying the walk. So thanks for listening. Carry your clubs. Enjoy the walk.
one shot at a time. 